0: Hello and welcome to Amplify, Supporting Young Amputees, the Limbless Association's podcast that answers all your questions about life as an amputee. The Limbless Association is a long-standing user-led national charity that's been supporting lives beyond limb loss for over 38 years. We're here for amputees, their friends and family, clinicians and anyone who is interested in what it's really like to be an amputee. Our activities are based on the fundamental principle that no amputee need cope alone, and we provide support to amputees and their families pre and post amputation. Our services include our helpline, volunteer visitor peer support, support and connect hubs, virtual events, our Young Ambassador programme, quarterly Step Forward magazine, and so much more. I'm your host, Ella Dove. I'm an author, journalist, and Limbless Association trustee and Young Ambassador lead. In 2016, I lost my right leg below the knee following a freak accident tripping over while out running. It's been a long journey to rebuild, physically and mentally, but the Limbless Association was there throughout, helping me feel supported, encouraged and empowered. To join the Limbless Association's community, connect with us on social media or visit our website at www.limbless-association.org. So, on to today's main discussion. Today we're going to be talking about going for goals. Goal setting is a huge part of recovery when it comes to limb loss. We're not talking scaling Everest here. It could just be as simple as managing the stairs in your home, tying your shoelaces or stepping onto a bus. As humans, achieving targets we set ourselves brings natural satisfaction. Think about crossing off a to-do list, finishing the housework, handing in a big project or crossing the finish line of a run. The satisfaction of completion fulfills us all in many ways every day, and it's no different when you're an amputee. Everyone is different and our goals will vary. It doesn't matter what they are. The important thing is to have them, strive for that sense of satisfaction, keep pushing on even when it seems too hard. We all have the power within us to achieve what we set our minds to. Our guests today know the importance of setting goals, and they're here to share their experiences. Mukhtar Adam lost his leg in 2017 at the age of 34, when he was run over by a car that mounted the pavement. He's since gone on to become a trustee of the Limbless Association. Welcome, Mukhtar. Hello. Hi. Born with a congenital disorder and becoming a three-knee amputee at the age of two, Julie Rogers went on to become one of the youngest participants in the 2012 Summer Paralympics, representing Great Britain in the sitting volleyball team aged 13. In 2013, she switched sports to track and field and competed at Rio 2016 Games, becoming one of the fastest female Paralympic sprinters in the UK. Welcome, Julie. Hello. Hello. So both of you then have set goals in different ways. How important was it and is it for you to have something solid to focus on? Um, Mukta, you're the more recent amputee. So can you tell us how setting goals after amputation helped you?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. Having something solid to focus is so important. It's very important to have goals and consistently trying to achieve them. I mean, I remember very early on when I was... um, in hospital after my amputation, I was pretty much bed bound and, you know, I couldn't really do anything. It was so depressing to sit there and not being able to move much. I didn't have any idea what the next steps were going to be. And I was, I felt really kind of uneducated about limb loss, but, but I was extremely lucky. My, my family got in touch with um, Limbless Association and arranged for a volunteer visitor to come and see me. Uh, Henry Clifton, I'm sure. You know him. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, coincidentally, my friend had arranged for Heather Mills to come and visit me as well. And I had, um, I remember sitting there in Royal London Hospital um, in the cafeteria and opposite me sat Heather Mills and Henry Clifton. And, you know, the amount of competition on that table, basically fighting to basically give me as much information and advice as possible. And I mean, it was it was a funny story for me, but I was so touched by their stories and the fact that they were so passionate about giving me advice. Mm. I mean I left I left that meeting with like a real projection of what my next two years were going to be like and it gave me it gave, gave me a sense of direction and it told me exactly what I needed to do basically for me the goals were to accept what had happened to me and also um, preparing for when I received my leg so that these goals gave me like a productive routine so accepting what had happened allowed me led me to do daily mindful exercises breathing and looking after the anxiety and stress that that had happened and that that trauma brings and i also set alarms on my phone to do kind of daily routine exercises and physio exercises and i was doing them three to four to five times a day and you know this structure allowed me to kind of achieve what i needed to achieve to prepare me for the next stage and you know so when i when i did finally get my prosthesis, it was these these goals that allowed me to to put what happened to me in the past and look forward to the future. So setting goals and having structure is so important in whatever it is that you do.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think having people that you could see physically there, I know when I was in hospital, I I didn't have Heather Mills, but I had a couple of (laughs) other amputees came to um, Mm. see me and seeing somebody kind of walk in, and, you know, stride in and you think you're in a hospital bed and you think, wow, I, I want to be like that one day. So I definitely yeah. think it's it's a really important part of recovery for sure.
1: Exactly. And I couldn't stress yeah. enough how important it is to get connected with some a charity like Limless Association, because, I mean, I've literally reaped the benefits of being in touch with them so early on and having a fountain of knowledge. Mm mm-hmm.
0: And so Julie, obviously your situation was a bit different, but how important yeah. have goals been for you throughout your life? Yeah. So obviously, as mentioned, I've been an amputee from a young age, um,
2: but I've always been a very goal oriented individual. I think it's a really important sort of characteristic to have for yourself if you're someone that's looking to set out to achieve something. So I always feel like with every aspect of my life, I like to break it down into goals. And then it gives you a clear trajectory of where you are and where you'd like to be. And from that as well, you can basically work out what it is you need to do to get there. So, you know, as Mokhtar mentioned, having goals set was really key to his recovery um, when he acquired his, his limb loss. And I think that when you set yourself a goal, and as you said, it could be as little as walking up the stairs, walking your dog around the park, if you know what's in your way from your starting point, you know who you need to speak to, and um, and there's just a wealth of expertise out there. You know, as mentioned, you guys who are specifically experts in in limb loss, um, speaking with people who who know basically how they can how they can help you with myself you know whether I set goals in school or work or in sport if I wanted to get somewhere I knew that there were individuals I could tap into whether that be expertise in sprinting or strength and conditioning or my balance when I was younger or correcting my posture that was something that I was then aware I needed to tap into to reach my goal so I do think that having a goal orientated system is what helps you achieve what you want to set out in all aspects of life, so it's really important for people to know that.
0: Mm, definitely. And so, tell me a bit about your journey towards becoming a Paralympian. Then, when did you decide that that was something you wanted to do, and how did you go about achieving it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, it's a bit, a bit of a strange one, really. Um, obviously, I, I've met a lot of athletes from all walks of life. You know, whether they're footballers or Olympians or fellow Paralympians. And I think growing up, I just missed out on on the the, the individuals that got to watch the Paralympics on TV because essentially I was at the one, the first one that was broadcasted at such a level in the UK. Um, so I can't say I grew up wanting to be a Paralympian because to be quite frank, I didn't know they existed. Um, you know, there, there was a chap called Oscar that was on the screens briefly, but you know, we, <laughs> we don't talk about that now, no. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I meet footballers and they say, oh, you know, I wanted to do it since I was five. I've never seen myself as having the ability to be an athlete to be honest um I grew up thinking you know my mind was my uh it was where my value was um but fortunately I come from a very sporty background my father runs a mixed martial arts gym my brother did every sport under the sun and, and not only was he with my brother he was my twin so he was my partner in crime as such and I was always active but I just knew I would never join the Royal Ballet, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I was fit, I was healthy, and, and training at my father's gym helped give me sort of the functional movements I needed as a child. Um, I, I, but to be honest with you, mainstream sport wasn't something I I really kept involved with whilst whilst I was younger, because, you know, you do go through a stage of isolation when you're at school and everyone gets bullied and X, Y, Z. But I got to the age probably when I was heading towards about 10 years old, where I basically realised um, by isolating myself away from sports, I was becoming a detriment to myself. And I was sat down by my father and he said, you know, you need to basically get active again. I was very active growing up, sort of took myself away from the scene. And then basically I was, I was told that I needed something active to get back into. Um, and Paralympic sport was was sort of on the scene. So it was it was presented at prosthetist centres and, and um, sort of word of mouth. And sitting volleyball was was a sport that was sort of local-ish to me in the sense it was about an hour's drive. I think Stoke Mandeville's not too far from my family home, but at the time they only had you know, wheelchair rugby and basketball and i'm not i'm not a wheelchair user mm. um and i just love the idea of a sport where you weren't restricted by um, any equipment you just needed a volleyball um and, and that's basically where it started i i started the sport to help my own confidence my own health and just to be happier and and everything like that um but before i knew it you know i you know I was invited to the the GB development team and then I was invited away on a competition with the full women's team um I made my first debut I believe when I was aged 11 in Egypt um and then before we knew it we were hosting the the home paralympic games and I remember the selection was was really really tough um but I put no pressure on myself to because I was only 13 um but somehow I think the potential I had was obviously identified by the head coach which led to my to, led to my um selection for the full team mm. and it's sort of been a, a bit of a whirlwind journey since I once I came out of the Paralympics you know as most kids do I, I wanted to to try other things to do lots of things at once I think um my brother was a hammer throw at the time and I'd, I'd been told that would be a good sprinter so I just went into it and to be honest it's cool, it's had my attention since so um mm. which led to Rio 2016 and and Where we
0: are today, Mm, yeah. I mean, you've got. I I have a running blade, and I can only do five k. So you have my you have my sort of full admiration. I I I was going to say actually, yeah, you're a sprinter, aren't you? But I can't go very fast either because I get so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um, so Mukhtar tell me a bit about obviously you mentioned you know your celeb visit in hospital Um, so let's start right at the beginning of after you were uh, when you'd had your amputation and you were in hospital can you tell me about the first few sort of goals that you set yourself right before you could get a a prosthesis right at the very beginning?
1: Yeah um, one of the first goals was as I said accepting um, what had happened to me and kind of moving on from, you know, feeling sorry for myself and, you know, learning to adjust what, what my next um, kind of role as a person would be. And also, um, secondly, kind of preparing myself by doing a lot of physio exercises. And they were, they were my short-term goals to kind of actually build the strength I needed and fire up the muscles I needed to be prepared when I received my prosthetic Leg and you know one of the things I was I was keen to do is not to change who I was and I wanted to make sure I maintained that person that personality I had or maintaining that positivity always wanting to grow as a person and I did I did I just didn't want the amputation to stop me from doing that
0: mm. and was that hard sometimes because I mean obviously you know I'm a positive person too but
1: hmm.
0: it's ups and downs isn't it like did no, you have absolutely. tough times yeah. too there,
1: there were there were loads of uh, frustrating situations and. Um, you know i i kind of found myself on the bed like i said earlier and it, it it just really um upset me a lot of times and you know it's it's difficult to find the strength to kind of move on sometimes but um at the same time you you, you know that you know there's there's people that are counting on you and you you really you, you really have a lot to look forward to because, you know, as as uh, LA says, you know, there's always life after limb loss and, you know, of course there is.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it's kind of accepting that you're not invincible. Like, you know, I kind of, I will push and push and push and then I'll get loads of sores on my leg and then I can't wear it for a week and then I'm in the wheelchair and then I feel really down. So I think sometimes, I don't know if you both think that as well, it's it's kind of about accepting sort of, yeah, that we're we're not kind of superhuman as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and adjusting what your expectations are, and you know, you can still definitely find happiness in that, and I, I and I and I believe that to be certainly true, and I've I've seen and I've done that on uh, numerous occasions, even after I've had my leg as well, which um, I guess we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah,
0: and so how have you both managed um, sort of setbacks over the years? Because I know, Julie, you had the knee injury in two thousand and eighteen, was that right? Yeah. So, yeah, tell me a bit about how you kind of manage that, but also just setbacks generally. What's your kind of attitude?
2: Yeah, so going back to being goal orientated, obviously, I every season, every year, I, I set myself out what I'd like to do. And I've had sort of injuries in the past. When I first got into running, and my body was adjusting. Um, But, you know, in 2018, I really did mess up my knee. Um, And and it was frustrating because it felt like I'd put in lots of hard work. Um, I was ready to see the the fruits of my labor, in a sense, during my summer season. Um, And I just pushed myself too hard and my body decided to snap. And I think that it was a massive learning curve for me, you know, I spent my first year at university, Um, I was adjusting to to studying full time and training full time, as well as a new coach and a new new training regime. But I think as negative as I could have got from what could have been from that year, it also taught me so much about my body. Um, It let me work on a lot of ancillary things that I wouldn't have otherwise. So things like it was my left leg, my my non-amputated side, that I that I'd injured, and I spent during that progress, um, sorry, process of recovery, strengthening my right, which is that my uh, residual limb side, to the max, and I'd never activated and built up my glute activation and hamstrings and and all the different bands in your leg so much, and that meant. And I was still going in the water and doing hydrotherapy, running um, and bike once I was less fragile. But when I went back running, um, once I'd recovered, I was stronger because I hadn't lost my fitness and strength because I just isolated away my injured part um, and continued to be active. But because I could spend that extra time strengthening my residual limb side, when I got back, I realised it was giving me so much more energy back. So I don't know if either of you as Blade users, sometimes it's a bit of a gallop going on. You know, you, you don't quite get as much return from your Blade, blade side as your, as your um, full leg side. I mean, sometimes it can be the other way, but with sprinting, um, it's all about how much force I can drive through that side. And I think going back when I realised that I didn't waste three, four months without running. I actually worked on something that I'd always sort of neglected um, and sort of found strength in my weaknesses, if you like. Um, so, I, you know, I've had setbacks in many, in many parts of my life. But I think when you do have a clear goal and you have the right people and the right environment, but more importantly, creating that energy and environment for yourself, it's really easy to, well, you'd hope it's easy to find the direction you're supposed to be going, if it's a little bit slower than you initially anticipated, that's okay because you've still got that direction and you've still got that goal. And even if the timeline shifts, you still know that you want to get there. And I think it's really important to recognise that, especially when you have setbacks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that um, physios told me to do right at the very beginning, which was really, really useful actually, was to write a list of short-term and long-term goals. And actually like that really helped me because those tiny milestones, you know, obviously we spoke about going up and down stairs or things that now I feel like I take for granted every day. I think it kind of really drove home the importance of those because then they're the sort of, they're the sort of stepping stones to achieving the longer term things, aren't they? So Mukhtar, obviously um you got a running blade as well and you told me that you went all guns blazing um, and then you said um, that rehabilitation can sometimes be like snakes and ladders with lots of snakes, which I love. Um So can you tell us a bit more about how you learnt that and t- tell us about when you went all guns blazing and and yeah, what you learnt from that experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, firstly, in my defense, you know, we have to admit that running blades look amazing. They're they're so cool. And you know, everyone is envious of a running blade. And, you know, you just want to wear it and kind of start running. And, um, you know, it's enough to get you out of bed. And, you know, in my case, get you ridiculously injured, so yeah, I, I I didn't listen to the physio. You know, they said take your time, go slow, and you know everything I'd learned, I just threw it out the window, and I was just basically like Forrest Gump. <laughs> I ended up, you know, a similar situation to uh, Julie, where I basically I'm a right leg baloney amputee, and um, oh, me
0: too. We all are.
1: <laughs> oh, so um, um, my right glute just hadn't developed the muscles to kind of. Um, go for the long runs and the pace i was trying to run at not that i'm fast or anything but just just trying to you know be the average runner but um my left shoulder which is connected to my right glute apparently or the left side of my back basically was uh, compensating for for my right leg, and um, I was basically using it to pull forward. And um, you know, I was running with friends on in the car park and racing them and trying to show off my running leg. And I, I literally injured myself. And you know, that that was a really low moment for me. It was so frustrating and. I couldn't go to the gym after I had problems walking so I had to take a lot of time off but um you know I had to I had to rest my body and again you know did a lot of water exercises but after taking the long, long rest I needed and working with physios, which who are just paramount to any of our rehabilitation, I, I managed to kind of um, start using the leg, improving my running skills because I, I just can't, you know, how I imagined myself running before I did the physio exercises was probably completely different to how I was actually running in, in, in reality. But um, now I think with the help of a physio, my running has improved and, you know, I'm doing like 5k a week, which is something I'm proud of and you know like I said goals need to be adjusted and you know that's what I mean rehabilitation can actually sometimes feel like snakes and ladders with loads of long snakes but (laughs) I think what I've learned the important thing is to continue to strive and you know with plenty of rest and direction things are things are possible and I think Anthony Joshua sums this up really well when he says um you know you don't let success go to your head and don't let failures go to your heart. And I think that really resonated with me in terms of my experience and, you know, whole situation with the running blade.
0: As Mukhtar rightly says, physiotherapy is paramount to an amputee's recovery. And to find out more, I spoke to Claire Horn, a physiotherapist with a vast array of experience from a rehabilitation centre in Hong Kong, working with a variety of patients, including upper and lower amputees, to her current role as physiotherapy lead at Pilgrims hospice in Kent. She also happens to be my auntie and during my recovery she became my own personal physio which is something that proved very useful indeed. Um, So Claire, hello, as a clinician um, why would you say that patient goals are so key to a successful recovery?
3: Goal setting is important for the physiotherapist and the whole multidisciplinary team but also for the patient and the patient's family and friends. I took part actually recently in, in a project called GAS, which was the goal attainment study. And we got patients to make what we call SMART goals. That's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant and time-based. All the parties found this a really useful exercise. And it's like setting out markers for your recovery some with success and some taking quite a bit longer than expected to fulfil, mm. but all giving that sense of achievement or on, on fulfilment.
0: Yeah. And so where do we start when it comes to making goals? How do we know what our goals actually are?
3: I think it's, it's something that's really very difficult sometimes to get people to set goals, even, even more so in my current role in the hospice. Mm. But we've actually realised that sometimes it is better to ask the question, what matters to you or what's important to you rather than what are your goals mm. and and from those answers we can help draw out the goals for for the patient or I mean for you personally your one of your goals was i want to go to work on my own and for that we knew you had to go on the escalator on the underground alone mm. so mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, what are the other ways that you would say that you helped me to achieve my goals as as an auntie and also as a physio?
3: If I can remember rightly, what we did is we actually discussed what we call, you know, your achievable goals. And we looked at them as short term goals or medium term and long term goals. And I always get people to write their goals down. So they're visual as well as sort of in your mind. So you've got them there to, to tick off as you do them. I mean, you wanted to, you live in your own flat, you wanted to go to work independently and you, you wanted to wear skinny jeans, I think. Mm. Um, and then there's the what we call the unintentional goals. Those are sometimes the, the daily activities of going shopping and re- reaching something from the top shelf in the shop mm. or um, day-to-day activities, going into the bathroom, getting washed, getting dressed. I think also another goal that we had was when we were in rehab, Ella, we had to compete for who could hold the Pilates plank for the longest.
0: <laughs> we did, <laughs> all, yeah.
3: of, all of those things are really important. And sometimes you're achieving goals without actually realizing what, what you've done because they will help you to fulfill activities of daily living. Mm.
0: Yeah. And of course, as we know, it's never just a case of putting on a prosthetic leg and striding off for the rest of your life. So there are always kind of setbacks and times where you can't wear a prosthetic leg due to sores or phantom pain. Um, So how do you encourage patients to manage those setbacks when it feels like they're taking two steps forward and one step back?
3: Yeah, we all do it. And and, and actually, can I please quote Captain Tom, Mm. tomorrow will be a better day. Everyone has good days and bad days, or as I like to call it, good days and not so good days. <laughs> I'm a bit of a half full sort of person, so I tend to think in a very positive way. But I know it's difficult. it was difficult at times for you, Ella, and we discussed about maybe writing down those fr- frustrations in a book, closing the book and trying to forget the frustrations. Mm. It's important to discuss about adapting goals if we can't fulfil them as they are. If we can do that, we can look at it in a different way, rather than thinking about what you can't do, but thinking about what you can do, what you've already achieved, and then planning the goals to be smaller, you know, bite-sized pieces, build up, take each day, each hour, each minute at a time. Mm,
0: Definitely. Oh, well, Claire, thank you so much for that. That's been really great. Julie for you away from sport then what are the other kind of goals that you've set throughout your life obviously you say you're very goal orientated generally so outside of sport what are the other sort of achievements that you are working towards or have achieved?
2: Ah oh, well sort of sport is such a big big part of my life um but I I do take pride of trying to have an identity elsewhere mm-hmm. um I I i recently completed um, my university degree so i'll study in economics um and you know i had a goal of i didn't want my academics to suffer as a result of my sport which i think um you know can happen um but fortunately graduated with a with a first this year so i i you know thank you thank you very much um but to put it in sort of a simple way in in recent months especially because we've seen how um turbulent and, and uh, unpredictable life can be it's just been a massive goal of mine to be really happy um and sort of in the moment and in anything i do decide to do um just to be excellent at it or to bring my best capability to it so i think it's really easy um because you know i'm I'm 22 next week, but it's really easy to to fixate on something. So even though we're sat here and saying we're all goal orientated, I think you always have to remember there's a, sort of a scope of flexibility of what that goal might be when it mm-hmm. when it's certain things. So it can be specific in things like rehab or competition, but you know, in the outer or in the broader terms of life, I when I said I set myself a goal to be happy, it was because you know I didn't know what what job my job might look like coming out of uni um, I'm in a job now and I want to be really good at it which is which is my goal and I think that basically simplifying things down so that you sort of continue in a positive environment just means that you're way more resilient to the changes you know the whole world have had to have had to adjust to with things like COVID because if you put yourself on too much of a straight and narrow with with this journey of, of setting goals it can be really damaging I think um because as soon as something that's out of your control leads you away from the path um it can really dishearten what you're trying to achieve so as much as I can sit here and say you know goal orientated you you have a goal a trajectory and you achieve it there is always that scope of being able to bounce back on when you are led away as you said with the snakes and ladders when you do go down or you're sort of set off path um but yeah as as I said it's it sounds a bit um a bit vague but you know at the moment I'm really trying to apply sort of the the mindset of being positive and happy and whatever I'm doing and whatever I'm trying to achieve just do it to the best of my ability just to be excellent at it um, mm-hmm. and even though that's not specific to something right now as it's hard to be in these times um Mm. yeah that's that's my goal at the moment just to be Mm. just to be happy and good
0: (laughs) yeah it's a great goal (laughs) I think it's a goal we should all strive for and Mukhtar then going on to you and your goals you've also graduated am I right you've done a master's
1: yes I'm in the process of completing my master's I have my dissertation left to do Mm. but yeah I mean it really helped me build my self-esteem after losing my leg and you know I was looking for that confidence and you know after I lost my leg I kind of lost my social kind of circle because I wasn't working Um, you know everyone has to get on with their own life and you know it's difficult to interact and meet with meet people in the same kind of environment and you know there's a lot to look look out for but doing the masters gave me something to focus on away from the rehabilitation and it really allowed me to kind of see what kind of what kind of impact the amputation has had but in reality you know it it doesn't define me at all and it really you know I can still be whoever and whatever I want to be and what Julie says about you know being happy and um, being able to kind of find that satisfaction in whatever it is that you do, which is small or big, and, you know, just giving your 100% to it is, you know, resonates with me completely.
0: Mm, Definitely. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is your pilgrimage. So tell us about that, because that must have been a lot of preparation and obviously a huge goal and a a massive sense of pride, I guess, when you completed it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I'd, I'd kind of had a long journey by the time I got to my Hodge pilgrimage I'd, I'd lost my leg I'd kind of um, you know I had the drama with kind of ingrown hairs which you know maybe I'll tell you about a, a little <laughs> when we're <bit>. not
0: recording <laughs>
1: yeah. um, you know I'm happy to share it but yeah there's there's been um, uh, so many instances and things that have happened I basically lost a leg but I but I still you know had my life and Um, one of the things we do as Muslims is we bury our dead and when my family buried my leg it really kind of hit home that you know they could have been burying me so for me I I just felt I had so much to be thankful for and um, I wanted to visit Mecca to thank my creator and uh, complete one of the pillars of Islam and it's, it's a very challenging thing to do because there's 3 million people um, coming from all over the world. And it's, it's a four to five day pilgrimage, which, which in any day you could be walking five to 15 kilometers and it's at 45 degree heat. And, you know, it's not, it's not just a five to 15 K walk. It's, it's a slow walk. And as any amputee will know, one of the biggest problems we have is when we're, when we're standing, um, the pressure we put on our stump and our residual leg, it's intensified. So, you know, walking kind of on a, in a regular pace, you, you kind of release that tension from your stump. And when you're walking in a slow hobbled walk, it's quite difficult. But, you know, doing a lot of research and finding a tool, good tour operator like that suited my needs and, you know, finding good locations of hotels, you know, really, really helped me to decide where where I can, you know, use my wheelchair and, you know, preserve energy. So mm. planning and preparation is a, a, a key element. And um i can i feel like i can still be spontaneous but i have to bear in mind a few details and i managed to complete the pilgrimage and i felt so thankful to have been able to do have such a spiritual journey and all the also all the experiences i had from you know, losing my leg, the whole emotional roller coaster and you know, meeting so many amazing people, mm. it, it just helped me appreciate what I do have and not take for granted a breath or let let alone a limb. And mm-hmm. you know, people that I've spoken to who've suffered trauma, you know, although in the beginning, you know, we all feel like it can be over, it's you know, after you've learned to adapt, um, you know, which will always happen, you realize other opportunities and you you know that, that you've been afforded and that you would have probably not had if you didn't have your limb loss. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. always important to try and find a silver lining, I think. And Mm -hmm. um, speaking to other other amputees, that's one of the most common things I hear.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Shameless promo here, but I mean, I'd always wanted to be an author. And speaking about my goals, I'd kind of always said, you know that's what i want to do i want to write a book and but i didn't think that it would necessarily happen in my 20s and then actually losing my leg because my book is about a girl that loses her leg <laughs> i wonder where <laughs> i got that idea from you know it made it more kind of authentic and i think it gave it that voice that only somebody who has lived that experience could could actually have and i think that's why That's why it kind of, it became sort of successful because it was, you know, it was a goal I'd always had, but it was like using experiences for good. And it's what you said about trauma, I guess, you know, it's kind of, turning it on its head and trying to find the positivity in something that could be seen as a very negative situation. Um, The book's called Five Steps to Happy, by the way, if anyone out there wants to read it. But yes, for sure. So obviously, Muktai, you've said that, yeah, despite the challenges, you'll realise that other opportunities you have... That you have been afforded, that you probably would not have had. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, it's something that I've done as well with the Limbless Association, is climbing the O2 Arena. How was that?
1: Yeah, that that was absolutely amazing. It actually kind of happened to me at a time when I was going through quite a bad period. I think um, I, there was there was a few issues that were going on. I, I had issues with my leg, and um, you know, I, I just I just. I just had nothing to look forward to at that time. And um, when I, when I did get told about the O2 challenge, I kind of jumped at it and it, it really, cause it, it's a real community feel. And, you know, whilst we walked up there um, hand in hand, it was, it was, it was, it was really difficult at certain stages cause you got there. And um, um, I'm sure Julie was there as well, right? Yeah, I was. Oh, um, you've done it
0: too. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: done
0: it too.
2: It's great
1: fun. Yeah. yeah. So you climb up these stairs, and I'm thinking it would just be a gradual kind of increase up, but I'm sure it was like a 30 degree incline, and we were harnessed up to this rope, and I didn't we got to the top? We got to the top, and you know it was really difficult. I think Julie didn't even have gloves on. I remember that. I think I think she and I <laughs> yeah, like, my cousin,
2: my cousin struggled more than I did, and she had two legs.
1: <laughs> anyway, um yeah, so it was like. Just crazy! All these people with some with no hands, no no legs, but you know, with with the correct attitude and managed to go up. And just sharing a glass of orange juice with everyone at the top was amazing. But then mm-hmm. um, the journey down, <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember the journey down. It started raining, and I'm sure it was hailstones as well, right? Yeah, it was a whole other. It was a whole other animal going down. Quite on the
2: way up, it was quite leisurely for me personally, anyway. But going down, I, I didn't, um, I don't have a um, microprocessor or anything at the time. I just had a free knee, and it was, it was rough. It was a whole other beast going down.
1: And, and you're going down backwards, right? Just, yeah, you... yeah,
2: yeah. Exactly. I can't, I can't believe um, someone, someone decided to put an amputee challenge as a, as an incline in the middle of the London skyline. <laughs> but I, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. <laughs>
0: definitely and so I mean Julie do you share that attitude that kind of there are opportunities to be found in in the kind of difficult times or you know through sort of trauma and amputation is that something you think as well?
2: I agree to an extent I think that everyone's individual circumstances leads to very individual opportunities and outcomes in life and obviously as as an amputee um whether that's through trauma or like myself from birth affords you opportunities that a lot of people wouldn't have now equally you know should I not have been born an amputee that's a whole other whole other route that I I don't know what opportunities would have come Mm. but for sure I think that everyone's authentic circumstance comes with very very um individual opportunities that are to you in your life and I think that it is not so much as what opportunities you're given because every individual has the potential to do something to be something it's I think the mindset you grow um as someone that's gone through a trauma or difficulties um, develops you into a person that can use these opportunities to 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 help you and to project you into a way that that other people might not Mm -hmm. um so I think that the mindset and and characteristics you get from going through rehab um difficulties with with your mobility definitely breeds a whole other type of being um and being able to to basically angle opportunities to to your advantage is is then down to yourself um Mm. but I definitely think that of course you know should I not be an amputee the Paralympics probably wouldn't have happened now can I say that the Olympics wouldn't have happened you don't know but Mm. I know that the mindset I basically developed growing up as a child as an amputee as basically an alien to my peers and um having a sporty brother I know that that's what formed me into the person I am today and I'm very grateful for
0: that Mm. yeah Yeah. So I'd like to ask you a final question, both of you. What would you say are, I mean, Julie sort of answered this already saying, you know, to be happy and, and to sort of have that attitude of positivity, but what would you say are your goals for the future? It could be something specific or it could just be more of a mindset. So Mukhtar, I'm going to come to you. What would you say are your goals for the future?
1: I mean, I mean, for me, um, I really want to do the superhero triathlon. And, you know, that's something I've been trying to do for the last few years. And, you know, I haven't been able to partake. First year I was in Hajj and this year due to COVID. But, um, you know, I'm hopeful I can do it. But in other things, I really just want to be able to help people. So what I've realized is, you know, giving is Um, and being able to help anybody and is is a fantastic opportunity and it's so rewarding so just just how the LA has helped me and seeing the people on the other side and how happy they were just helping me and how when I whenever I provide help to somebody else you know the the satisfaction, I feel, is amazing. So, you know, that's one of the main reasons, you know, I've come on this podcast. And Ella, I think, you know, you've done a fantastic job. And, you know, I hope it will educate so many people um, about amputees, which is, you know, which um, I think requires a lot of information as well.
0: Mm. Definitely. And Julie, what about you? Any other goals?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously my, my big goal for this year would have been Tokyo 2020.
0: Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'd really, really like, um, to be in the position for selection for Tokyo 2021. It will be my third Paralympics. Um, I think that, you know, I, on this journey of life I've completely changed as a person I've learned a lot as an athlete Um, and in terms of of a specific goal then of course I'd really like to to go to Tokyo come back with something shiny because I've truly applied all all my learnings of life but yeah just really want to sort of emphasize as well that even though I carry that goal for, for next year my focus is that is just that happiness environment and mindfulness and to be honest I think that Having that in the forefront of my mind is what's going to help me succeed at, at the Paralympic Games. Hopefully, for my for
0: my for my third time. Yeah. Well, we're we're all wishing you luck. Yeah, we'll, we'll be we'll be waiting and yeah, looking out. Thank <laughs> well, thank you. you both so much. You've both been such brilliant guests. So I'd like to leave on our final segment, which we're calling I'm Stumped. So every episode, um, we're relaying funny and bizarre memories of being an amputee. And this time I've had something sent in from LA Manchester Hub coordinator, Leanne Forrest. So Leanne says, my neighbours and I host a summer holiday cartwheel competition. And one year it was held in my garden with all of the children and teens from our street." my cartwheel was that spectacular it resulted in my mum knocking on next door's door to ask if she could retrieve her daughter's leg from their shed roof i still don't know if i won that year that's a great one (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's funny so if you've been stumped in a similar way we want to hear from you so contact us through social media um, and remember to find out more about the charity visit our website www.limbliss-association.org see you next time